Okay, welcome back to the Upland Experience. Today, we're with Benny Atkinson in West Point, Mississippi at Prairie Wildlife. And he just dropped something that it was just loud. Um, we're going to talk about early season bird dog care. Benny, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Not bad at all. Um, we're coming on your busy time. Going to get everything will get all western around here, and uh, it's going to be hot. It's Mississippi. It's hot right now. Has been for the last probably last month. We've been pretty fortunate this summer. Not bad temperatures, and it's upon us now. It has gotten very warm and very humid. Well, you know, we all focus on a, drinking enough water and eating the right thing when we're hunting and and shooting in this heat, but uh coming on time where we're going to have to be concerned about our four-legged companions as well. It can be a very dangerous time for the hunting dogs this time of year. We do a lot of the conditioning things that we do, dog work in the morning. Uh, typically, we'll start around 6. A lot of it depends on what's, what the temperature is doing, what the humidity is doing. I mean, when it's above 80 degrees, I mean, 80 degrees and the, the temperature and the percentage of humidity, the more it goes up, the shorter that time frame is for that dog gets his tongue out of his mouth and all of them are going to pant. That's how they, that's how they dissipate heat. They don't sweat. Uh, but that's, that becomes critical. With that said, you have to, when the dog tongue gets out of his mouth and you'll watch it, it'll come out. If it's just down and he's panting, he's just cooling off. I mean, that's, he's sweating. Right. When that tongue comes out and starts curling up, and you'll see a cup of his, when his tongue's out of his mouth, mm -hmm. he's hot. He's very hot. And, you know, temperature issues in dogs, especially heat stroke, can happen and do happen. And they happen a lot in, 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 a, in a hunting breed, you know, that does a lot of running. Well, let's start with your condition. I mean, when do you, do you condition all year long? Do you start in the summer? We try to do it all year long. We, you know, we're training dogs right now. We're working dogs, so it's a. Uh, they're all getting out of the pen, but it's one of those things that you kind of have to play it by ear. You know, with everything you've got going on, and you know, nobody has enough help right now. So we're <laughs> helps a sore subject right now. We're chasing our tail, literally and figuratively. But you know, we try to get them out, and let them run. Um, it's. It's dicey times. The The biggest thing with the dogs is, you know, keeping them fed. Everybody thinks that, you know, we stay on the same feed year-round. What do you feed here? Right now we're feeding Loyal. Uh, and we're in discussions with another group to swap. Uh, to, they they, they want to partner up with us. I think it would be a great food. Uh, been... Not being cliche, but we've been with Utrina for the last five years. Been a great food, but pretty impressed with the Purina Pro plan on the sport. And Funny. That's what I feed my labs. And, uh, uh, good company, great product. A uh, lot of research, uh, and we're, we're working through some things with them, trying to, to be a Purina Pro plan. Sponsored yeah, operation. Uh, feeder, I guess, yeah. would be the correct term. It's funny, you know, food. You bring up uh, dog food on an Upland forum on the internet, and, it, and it's like you talked about somebody's mama. 
I mean, their opinions. Oh, everybody in the third brother out there doing it. I want to, you know, everybody keeps talking about grain free and this and that. And I was actually on a uh, webinar last week, I believe. I can't remember. It's been, everything's run together the last two weeks, but it was a three hour discussion on people like us, you know, that have a lot of dogs. It's a customer council that I've been asked to be on. And, the nutrition and the food and the grain-free diets and the whole thing came up and, and I can get exposed to the Purina side of things. They are very concerned. They're very involved and in touch with what they're doing with their animals. They've got 99 pet food science on staff right now and they're doing research on these Feeds, formulas, the whole nine yards. That was not me. That was you. That was me. I forgot to turn my phone off. Here, let's let's take care of that right now. Uh, so the food is important, but in this heat, uh, you know, we take care to hydrate ourselves. Everybody, you, you know, you guys provide water for your hunters. I tote water. What do you? How much water? Typically, the the rule of thumb is, and it goes back to some of the one of the guys that they had on. This customer council runs sled dogs in Alaska. There's something unique. And he's been doing it for 30 years. Wins a lot of races. I mean, really good at it. But he will not give water. He gives it heavy before they run the night before and everything. There's actually some supplements uh that he uses help. You know, a lot of people use the Fortifloral, which is made by Purina for intestinal problems, things like that. Mm -hmm. They've got loose stool, and it'll typically tighten them up two or three days. If it doesn't, you take them to the vet, get them checked. He uses it in the water, and it's got a lot of probiotics and things in it to make it a palatable thing for him to drink. Hmm. Uh, so it gives him a little bit more get up and go. We've never done it in the water. I can't speak to that. So do you, uh, on a, a working dog in this heat, you water them throughout the day? Do you water them before? Because I've noticed when I hunt with, well, I've hunted with several of your guides, you usually bring two sets of dogs. And they'll pull one set out, hunt it, water them, put them up, and then bring the other set out, hunt them. So they, I'm going to make the assumption they don't water them mid-hunt and then put them back out in the field. No, I mean, we'll put the water down. Uh, to allow them to try to cool off. You know, we've got water and holes. This time of year, though, the, the water and holes. I mean, anybody that gets out and runs around a creek or a lake or something like that, especially in the south, and it's not just here. It's it's up the Midwest, Oklahoma, all the way up into the you know, Dakotas, but you run risk of dogs getting sick by what's in the water. Right, bacteria and Well, I mean, the blue-green algae is... I mean, it'll, it'll kill a dog quickly if they get it. And it's that, uh, I'm trying to think that it's like, they call it a can, I think it's called a canyo bacteria or something, but it's, there's a, if you get a dog, it's, I mean, it's just kidneys down, liver. I read a story about some people that had took their dog swimming at the local lake and it was, it was dead like 24 hours later. And the vet had told him it was, he got in that algae. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, it can be the, the best thing on you know, rule of thumb on that is if it's moving water, it's not stagnant. 
you know, if it's a big enough lake, people say, oh, it's not stagnant, but it can be. I mean, that, that bacteria can be in the water and it can, you know, typically with me, I'm, on, I'm carrying water and a water bowl or a water bottle to hydrate the dogs. I mean, all my dogs drink out of the bottle. I mean, I stick it in the corner of my mouth, just kind of cup your hand under the chin mm-hmm. and just kind of pour it in gently and, and they'll kind of roll their tongue back, you know, just lap the water up. Uh, you got to be careful with the mud puddles or the the pond or things like that. That's a quick, you know, everybody thinks it's a quick way for them to get in there and cool off. <coughs> Excuse me. And it is, but if the blue-green's algae in there, it coats the dog down, and you really can't see until you wipe your hands on them, but it'll coat the dog down and trap more body heat in there, which raises... You know, normal dog's temperature is going to be like 99.5 to 102.5. But when they're working, you know, 105, 106 is not bad on a dog. Temperature-wise, if you took their temperature directly, I mean, you you would see higher temperatures like that. If they've got time to dissipate, cool down, the, one of the worst things they can do is everybody wants to pull a bottle of cold water out and give them cold water and... You know, if anything, a tepid, you know, room temperature, something that's even been sitting out in the sun, warmed up a little bit, is going to be better for them because it's not creating that big shock in their system. Oh, uh, yeah. From hot to cold. Makes now, in the same way, if you're out there and you've got, you know, you're been working in the sun and somebody dumps a bucket of ice water on you, you know, that shock is, is not real good for you. All right. Well, and like, most people don't realize this, but dog can get hypothermia. Within a hundred degrees out there, that's a critical part of their innate ability to be able to dissipate body heat. And you know, I've said that twice, but you know, their ears are where they—that's where the most blood vessels. If you ever seen a dog that's ripped an ear or got a cold on the briar or something like that, it bleeds like there's no tomorrow. Uh, that's where all the blood vessels are. That's, and you'll see them a lot of times shaking their head when they're hot. They're trying to cool off. What would you say? And I know this is very ballpark. You know, it's 90 degrees down here in October. 80, 90 degrees. How long is it safe to work a dog before you trade them? You know, you swap them out for a new one. Is it a couple hours? Is it an hour? Or each dog different depending on their ability to cool down? We opened last year, the first week of the season. I ran a brace dog on the ground for 11 minutes. Had to put him up. I mean, it was, it, you know, when you, when your temperature's high and your hum- humidity's high, uh, you kind of have to say, all right, what are the sum of those two? If you take the temperature and the humidity and add them together, most people, you know, if you add those two numbers together and it's above 150, it's not real safe to be running the dogs, not for extended period of time. Uh, they can have heat stroke and they can have heat stroke in lower temperatures. Right. You know, we run mostly what I call smooth coat dogs, uh, English pointers, short hairs. Uh, any of the dogs that we do have, the cockers, we've got a couple of setters that we, we clip them. I mean, they look like they're going in for surgery early part of the season because we don't want to deal with it. Yeah, you don't need your dog wearing a coat when it's 90 degrees. And, and the problem is you get out there and, you know, we've got a female setter that we can't hunt till it gets cool because 
she's gonna she's gonna have a seizure. Yeah, and it's that creates a problem when you're out in the field and you don't want to see customers seeing it. But I mean, I don't like to see a dog stressed or distressed and, and something like that because it, it it's not good for. Them. Well, you brought up uh, the water holes that you that are on the property. This is the south. How do you uh? How do you deal with snake bit dogs? Because there's no way around it when you're hunting, you know, south of the Mason Dixon line in the in the early season. There's snakes. Snakes are everywhere. We we do a a rattlesnake vaccine. Uh, we give it. Don't know that it helps. Uh, there's a big debate on that right now: the help versus the not help. And it's some places are requiring you to, if you come in from out of state, you have to have proof of the dog being vaccinated you know i call them travel papers but a lot of places are requiring that they be vaccinated yeah we're all going to have to have travel papers pretty soon dogs and people alike yeah but uh so you give them the vaccine we do does that vaccine I, and i don't know what you got i know out west where i go a lot of times you you, you see a lot of dogs with a snake bit muzzle digging around in the rocks but what about down here do you have copperheads water moccasins we have copperheads cottonmouths uh, and some rattlesnakes, uh, and we've had dogs bit. Uh, typically, they do pretty well on their own. I mean, you have to give them antibodies and or antibiotics, you know, for a couple of two or three days, and just work through it. But they, it does happen. Oh, and, I, I can and imagine. You get a lot of them, or a lot of the older snakes. We'll give them a dry, uh, what I call a dry bite, where right. it's just, they strike them, but you know, there's still risk for infection there and things like that. So, uh, is there a is there a vaccine for the other snakes other than rattlesnakes? Not that I know of. A lot, you know, a lot of places are doing. A lot of the dog clubs are doing uh, snake avoidance classes, and I mean, the, the a state snake smells. And has a very distinct smell, just like a bird does. Right. And a lot of people are doing avoidance classes with them. Uh, got a good friend of mine does one out in Oklahoma and Texas every year. I don't know that it helps. I mean, it's can't hurt. No, it's it would help me because I see the dog move and I know that I'm not going to be involved in it. Yeah, I don't like the snakes. <laughs> as long as I can see them, I'm good with them. But I don't want them. Do you ever notice what a copperhead smells like when it's scared? No, because I'm not standing around. Cucumbers. No, I didn't know that. Oh, I, I learned that a long time ago. You get a whiff of cucumbers in the woods and look around, you'll hunt you up a copperhead. No, I don't. I'm not going to be looking for them. <laughs> yeah, but the dogs you get this time of year, yeah, you know, a lot of them are pinned up. They're they're eating, putting on weight. You know, you'll have dogs that are out of shape. I don't want to call one obese, but. They're probably not in the best shape, not like they would be in January, February. Right, not lean. They're not lean and trim, and and it's you know that goes back to the feeding. Everybody wants to take a high protein dog food and start it, you know, two weeks before the season and feed it during the season and stop them after the season. It takes eight to twelve weeks for them to metabolize that dog food and level out to be able to absorb every everything that's in it that where it's made. Uh, you know, if you go in and for us at the end of March, just say we're going 12 weeks. I mean, 
that's three months. We're going to be July. Yeah. And I've got to turn around and start getting them ready for October. So I've got another 12 weeks to get them back on it. So you're in that window. Why swap? We feed, we base what we feed on, on the activity level, what the dogs are doing. You know, if, if they're in a, what I'm going to call a sedentary environment that where they're not, other than getting out and running a little bit every day, they don't need to change. And when you change dog food, it shocks the system a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Not much change in the food content, but, you know, we feed a high protein, you know, high fat diet. And but this time of year when they're kind of laying around, it's hot, they'll put on a little weight. But Won't be get, on long come October. No, but when you get over into January and they're skin and bones because they're hunting every day, you're like, mm, hey, I'm glad I did do that. Right. Um, dog, uh, your dog boxes. You do anything special with your dog boxes, fans? Most of them are insulated. Uh, we try every time we go to the field, especially in the early season, we'll try to make sure the dog boxes are in the shade where they're not just sitting there baking. Mm -hmm. We'll leave the tailgate down. Some of them, some of the guys do have some fans on them, but I mean, it's still that thing. It's, a, it's an oven, no matter how you slice it. Uh, mine, my box has got a water tank in the middle. And I'll throw a bunch of ice in the middle mm -hmm. and fill it up with water. So if it's 80 outside, it'll be 60, 65, just because of the, the water and the ice. I mean, it's like a big cougar. Well, I mean, that actually makes a lot of sense. So what do you got carry out? The never-ending debate in Upland Circles is what should be in a good dog first aid kit. You know, you got... <laughs> I mean, you've told me stories. I know you get dogs that cut their stomachs open on fences and things like that. I mean, how do you, you're, you're, you're an Orvis lot, so I'm we sure are. you're better prepared. What would you tell me? I'm going to take my German short hair and I'm, I'm, I'm going to go hunting in New Mexico. And the question is, Hey man, what should I carry to take care of my dog? Yeah. I've been fortunate to be able to travel and hunt Oklahoma, Texas and some other places out West. And it's different from where you're going. Uh, if you're somewhere where there's porcupines, carry you some good pliers where you can pull quills out. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's, it's going to happen. Uh, yeah. You can't, that's one of those things you can see it happening and you can't stop it. And everybody says, Oh, my dog's not going to do that. Well, they will. And, and the problem with porcupine is they get, when they get the quills, they're all in their mouth, their tongue, their face, you know, the big problem around the face is, you know, getting in their eyes and, and losing an eye or something like that. But they're, you know, the quills are barbed. You're going to have to pull them out. And it's not very pleasant. Most time you have to take them to bed, they have to sedate them, pull them out. And then there's that one, you know, if you miss one, it'll get infected or can get infected and create more problems. And it just, yeah, a good set of pliers, a good set of forceps uh, are key. I carry a lot of, there's a lot of new uh, clotting materials out there, like blood clotting stuff. Right. Uh, I carry the two or three tubes of that with me. Uh, super glue. Boy, that'll fix anything, won't it? I mean, it's that and staples. Uh, 
I was in Texas one day and one of my big males came running back up the road and I thought, and where we were at, we had to run boots on them because sand spurs, they're big as a dime out there and they just tear the dog's feet up. And I thought, what is wrong with him? What's on the front of his leg? And he had actually flapped open his forearm and made him have the head get up on the tailgate, lay down. I had to clean it. I mean, so, you know, you have to have something sterile, sebatidine solution, be able to scrub it out, get it all cleaned up. And I put 28 staples in his forearm laying right there on the tailgate of the truck. And there's some uh, sprays that have some uh, like lidocaine and some stuff in them that makes it a little bit easier. But a lot of that is me being able to do that to him where I was at. I mean, I was over two hours from a vet. So I had to do it. Right, right. And it wasn't, yeah, you didn't have options at and, that time. Yeah, you know, I, I carry an antibiotics. I'm always carrying antibiotics when I'm traveling. I'm always carrying antibiotics with me. I always carry Fortiflora with me. Uh, I keep a jar of honey in there. For, I mean, you, you know, dog gets in there and they get in the, a hypothermic state. I mean, I can get, you know, they're not wanting to take anything. I'll take, you know, get that glucose in them as quick as you can or something like that. Uh, I have had one that I've had to put some Gatorade to. Not, I don't like doing that, but I mean, I'd rather just give them straight water. It is a, uh, you kind of do what you got to do when you're in the field. Yeah, because all the rule, all, all bets are off. And it's, uh, Having what you need, you know, gauze, tape, uh, I usually will carry a roll of duct tape because the vet wrap, you can put it on there, but most of them don't like things on their legs or feet or whatever, and it, you, you've got to protect it. So I'll tape it, get them to the vet, and clean them up, and it's – you kind of got to be a trauma person there in the field. And hey, if it gets out – you know, I had one last year, got on a – he jumped on a, uh, it was an old dried stick up log that had a bodock limb on it. And he jumped and it went in his stomach, it didn't tear as much stomach muscle or everything, but it went right in beside his sheath and went straight back. He was hung on it, up off the ground, couldn't get off of it. And it was one of those when you sit there and look at it, I'm like, what in the world is he doing? And he was trying to get to birds that had gone down in that area. And he went to jump it and it hung him. And he was just hanging there. I mean, he was yelling and carrying on. I got over and got him off. Was not bleeding, but I had to load him up. I needed the right thing. I, I wasn't going to irrigate that. I wasn't going to do anything but get him to the vet as quick as I could. And we did. And he spent a week in the vet clinic. And they finally stitched it up. But there's so many little things you can take. I mean, you, know, you can be too prepared, but I've got a a little tote that I keep in the dog box that's full of gauze and wrap and blood clotting thing. I mean, we had one one time in Texas, got off the first morning out, dog on another guy's dog. Yeah, I was putting dogs on the box, reached up toward the bottom quarter of his ear off. Now, you've never seen anything bleed like that. Oh, I bet. Because when I you mean, cut your human cuts your head, it bleeds yeah. bad. And the dog shaking blood and everything. I just had to get him and hold his ear up. 
And that that was in the early days of the clotting material, kind of like a lot of like what they used in the military. And you had to put it on there and hold it, and it clot up. He'd shake it off, and then we finally just super glued it. I mean, if we couldn't put the piece back on there, but we stopped the blood. Okay. One last question on dog first aid, and it's one none of us want to deal with. Do you carry anything for gunshots? Because I, we, it's happened. I've been there when it's happened, and I, I, I you know, when you, when you, especially when you have different people you don't know, and you're you're letting they're hunting over your dogs. That 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 travesty's hanging over all our heads every day. Yeah. The most of the time with that, I mean, it's you got to assess situation. For me at that point, if a dog gets, we're going to the vet. I don't care how far it is. Hunt's over. We're going to the vet. Oh, of course it's over. I didn't know if you carried any of the, uh, like the, the real, the mill spec clotted material or, you oh, know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But some of that is, and a lot of it depends on how bad it is. And we're, I mean, if a dog gets a pellet or two in it, you know, I'm going to clean it up, try to figure out how deep it is and try to let it work the pellet back out. Uh, I've got two or three that have got pellets in them from people that shot at birds they shouldn't have shot at. And with me and my dogs, you you better not shoot one of my dogs. I was going to say you're a better man than me because if somebody shot Raylan, I don't care. I don't care the circumstances. It would uh, it would end bad. Yeah, but. bad things happen. Uh, most time, people aren't paying attention. They're not very attentive to what they're doing or. They just lose their, I mean, they get excited and lose their mind. It's, but I've never understood that because the most, the best part of bird hunting to me is the dog. And I always know where the dog is because I'm always looking at it and watching just because they're so beautiful to watch. But I mean, I, it happens every year. So a dog, maybe a young dog jumps up and on a low, a low bird that probably shouldn't have been shot anyway, but the dog happens to jump up and get catch part of the pattern i mean it's a sad deal and like you said you got to go to the vet but i didn't know if you carried anything for massive trauma like that or if it was just at a, that point there's not a whole lot you can do uh if if he takes a full shot i mean this it's a bad deal and and, you, and the bad thing the dog's doing what he loves to do and you know we we have protocol in place for stuff happens but it's not something you want to deal with or, or have to deal with. Oh, no, it's just, it creates, creates issues and people are like, Oh, I'm sorry. You know, I don't want to, you know, I won't come back. Yeah. You know, people need to learn from bad experiences and grow and, and be able to, to learn and take something from it and not let it happen again. But, you know, it's, it's that old adage just, you know, there's more people killed with unloaded guns. Yeah, yeah, you're very right. One of the better guides I've hunted with, actually hunted with him here, and he's a duck hunting guide. I was photographing his shoot. You set it up for me, and I was listening to him. You know, to brief his two uh, two hunters, and he told them, "This dog right here had the dog in his, you know, by the collar. He's young, guys. You need. I, I, I really need you to stay away from low bird shots because he's gonna jump at him." And, uh, you know, I thought that was the, the guy really knew his dogs and warned. And those two fellows were from Nashville and they were, you know, 
great shots and you could tell they were bird hunters because they were very cognizant of where that dog was in relation to the bird. But like you said, people that get excited and they lose track of, you know, it's hard enough to keep track of yourself. Sometimes you got to, where's your guide? Where's the boat? We got two dogs. Where's the dogs? Where's your hunting buddy? And they just don't think through it. But it's, you know, we try to tell each, each and every one of our guides, make sure we run the hunt and preach. You know, I'm six, six. I tell everybody, I said, look, make sure the bird's above my head. You know, don't be swinging through back through the gallery, you know, Hey, 12 and out. Mm -hmm. Bird goes around behind you. That's fine. But we try to stay on top of them, make sure they're not taking low birds. And at this time of year, I mean, dogs are hot. They're not going to be, you'll still have some of them that are real bouncy, as I'm going to call it, and get up and want to, you know, flush them. But you just have to watch what you're doing. Right. And the dog, you know, they're a key part of what we're doing out there. Well, we wouldn't be able to do what we love near as efficiently if it wasn't for our dogs. Oh, no, no. You know, you were talking earlier about the training side of it. You know, one thing we do is, you know, you mentioned the brakes. Mm -hmm. That does allow them to cool off, settle back down. Uh, they get amped up. I mean, hey, when they do, their adrenaline's running. And well, like you said, they love what they do, and they're just like us. You know, when we're doing something we like. Our adrenaline's up. And, you know, we're excited and we're happy. Uh, they, you know, they'll get up and most of them, there's no quitting. They'll go until they push themselves past the limit. Uh, yeah. Do, do, people think that's an, uh, the euphemism, but, uh, uh, a dog that's got a high prey drive will literally hunt till it drops. Yeah. Well, and that's part of the hypothermia side of it. I mean, they're gonna, if it, if you get a dog that gets that way, the quick thing you can do is try to cool them down, cool water, uh, lay them down, put a, towel on them, uh, you know, wet towel. Don't put the ice on them, uh, but armpits, groin, ears, belly. I mean, anywhere you can get something on them that's going to help them cool off. Yeah, you know, hey, put them in there, put them in the front seat, put them up there with the air blowing. You know, you've got to get that body temperature down. That's right. All right. Well, that's all the time we got for this one. Uh, appreciate it, Benny. And, uh, we're going to try to talk in two weeks about introducing your pup to live birds for the first time. But I appreciate it, Benny. No, thank you. Shit, I missed one of the best parts I want to talk about. <laughs>